Welcome to Squawk. My name is Luke. I'll be your host today. And my guest is Dr. Brian Nixon. If you don't already know, Squawk stands for Student Questions at Calvary College. And it doesn't mean that all the students that ask us questions go to Calvary College, but rather that people like Brian and myself from Calvary College answer questions that students ask. And all of our podcasts up to this point have been in that vein. So we roll a die, we pick a question from the list, and Dr. Nixon lays out the background for it, and then we pick apart the little pieces to answer the questions satisfactorily. So we're going to go ahead and jump right into the die roll and see what we've been given. Four. Been the most oftenly rolled, if that's a word. Yes, and, and I notice you have the purple die. Remember, I think last week we used the blue die and we got a different number. So. We did, and I think largely the four has been arriving on that purple die, but there's two purple die in there. Right. So. Well, this one's the, the four one. I'll have to put a mark on it. You know, sort of like dog-earing a card or and something. And Luke, before we, we get to the question, <laughs> you know, it, it just dawned on me that, you know, we're laying, you're, you're rolling these, these die and we're laying out, you know, the possibility of one through 12. We should begin, and again, I'm just thinking of this in real time. Sure. We should begin giving the symbolic nature of some of the numbers. So, so <laughs> the four obviously has connotations to the, the fourth day in, in Genesis, the four gospels. It has a lot of, you know, symbolic nature of it as well, but I won't get too much into this because it'll take away from our real question, but it would be interesting just to unpack some of these numbers in scripture as well. That would be, as long as we did, don't get too far down that's the rabbit hole in New That's Neurology. why I did not get too far into this. I just threw out the four Gospels, you know, and, uh, of course, the fourth day of creation. And the four turtles that hold up the earth. No, did I say that yeah, out yeah, loud? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, you know, on the fourth day, God completed the material universe um, on the fourth day. So, True. you know, that's that's interesting. But But I digress. Let's get to the real question now. <laughs> All right. Question number four. When did the flood happen? Oh, boy. This is a good one. The, I say that every week. It's yeah, probably the, getting old, but it's true. I feel the same way. And let me let me say, Luke, that this question is connected to one of the earlier ones we had in this podcast about the... The literal... The, the, the different hermeneutical approaches you can have for the book of Genesis chapter 1. So I'm just going to briefly touch on those, but I would encourage our listeners to go back and, and listen to that one. Essentially, there's four major views. There's the what we would call the young earth view, the old earth view, the gap theory, and what we call theistic evolution. And each of those are going to have a different time frame, you know, when the flood would have happened. So just briefly, a, a young earth, because s strict young earth creationists believe that the the earth is uh, roughly 10,000 years old roughly some give or take go a little bit further a day age or a old earth position adheres to that the earth is billions of years old and you know in conjunction with the the universe which is between 14 and 16 billion years gap theory also believes in an old earth but they have a, a unique take on that a gap between genesis 1 1 and genesis 1 2 and then theistic evolution, they they believe that God used evolution to create. So therefore, they would they would believe in an ancient old 
earth as well. So of the four positions, three of them adhere to an old earth and one adheres to a young earth. So the young earth obviously would say that the flood happened within the last 10,000 years. There's a lot of problems with that, as, as you would know. As a matter of fact, I was just recently with Dr. Stephen Collins, and he was addressing this very, this very topic. Mm. And he's going to be publishing a book in the near future addressing the chronology. Because as you know, Dr. Collins, one of his, in addition to archaeology, he also is a Bible history and chronology expert. So right. he feels there's a misunderstanding. And one of the the points, and he's not here to to really extrapolate it, so I'm not going to speak on his behalf. I'm just summarizing, is that the young earth chronology doesn't match our current science. So he he said there's there's some very um, there's some big inherent problems. As an example, with the current archaeology, Abraham was born and lived and so on and so forth this a certain period of time. And as Dr. Collins put it, and again, I'm not giving a, a pure quote but more of a paraphrase, that there's not enough time for all the other things to happen that needed to happen on planet Earth in accordance with a strict young Earth position. So that would lead, you know, there's some, there's some, there's some problems with the young Earth chronology. So that would lead to the other three positions. So do you, do you adhere to a, a day age, you know, an old Earth? Do you adhere to a gap theory? Or do you adhere to a theistic evolution? I would jump to the theistic evolution problem, and this is just me. I know there's many, many other people out there who have science backgrounds, and though I taught science in high school, my, my degrees are not in science. But I personally have issues with what we would call macroevolution. So, right. so, so the idea of God using evolution, for me, there are too many unanswered problems that evolution, as its classic Darwinian framework purports, that just have so many holes in it that I, I can't buy into that. So for me, you'd really have to go, is it gap or is it the, the day age? As I pointed out in other uh, our other broadcast, Pastor Chuck Smith in his early ministry believed in the gap theory. So he believed in an old, an old earth, but you know, he believed in this, this gap. I don't know if I necessarily uh, adhere to the gap theory at all. It's an interesting... Herm- there, there's things other than scientific issues with the gap theory. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what I was going to say, that there's biblical issues and philosophical issues that that are not addressed. And again, this isn't a question about those, so we're we're not going to unpack those. So I think the responsible way to look at this is to go, okay, the clearest the clearest means we're seeing from what we'd call, you know, science that is reliable and evidence-based is that our universe is older. I don't know if it's 14 or 16 billion years. I wasn't here, you know, during those times. So I, 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 can't, I, I was not an eyewitness. Neither was any human being. So the best of our human ability of measurements, be it, be it carbon dating, which is just dates living objects that had carbon, but then you get into a lot of other different dating methods. And those dating methods can have some issues, as, as we know. But to the best of our ability, we, we would seem to think that the Earth 
is older than 10,000 years old. How much older, we don't know. So when all said and done, I think a responsible way is to look at the two books of that God wrote. He wrote the first book, Nature, Creation, first, and then followed by the second book, the book of the Bible. One you know, shows the, the science, if you will, the how-to God did things, science and nature. And the book of the Bible is the, the, the story of God's work of salvation, specifically through the, Jesus, you know, the Jews and then, then through Jesus. So what you do is you take these two books and putting on your thinking cap, try to make the most sense of what's the most responsible hermeneutical approach, what's, you know, has a high view of Scripture, and then start to measure these out. Um, so that's my take on it right now. I'd love to hear what you have to say about it, and then um, then we could, you know, move to the next step. Right. Now, now up to this point, we've landed in generally the same place on all of our discussions. But I'm just going to put it out there. I'm one of those young earth creationists, yeah. largely. Um, I'm, I'm looking probably ten to 12,000 years. Now, the reason for that, and I've, I dug into this, for some reason, I got interested in creation science when I was in my grade school years. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to attend a number of different conferences from Institute for Creation Research before there was an answers in Genesis and dug into all the different reasonings and things. But the main reason why I have a problem with the older Earth is not because it does not give the appearance of age, is that even materially we seem to have issues establishing that date. And one of the biggest things is, is, as you know, radiocarbon dating deals specifically with the level of carbon-14 in an organic organism. Mm -hmm. In its own admission and the construct of that, it's not able to render a result that is accurate at greater than 100,000 years. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is the half-life of carbon-14, the rate at which it decays, it is finished mm-hmm. by a 100,000-year mark. Right. And so the question is, how are evolutionists or paleontologists or various other folks getting these readings of millions of years if by 100,000 years the carbon-14 in any organism has decayed. Right. Therefore, at that point, they're they're not only getting those readings, but they're getting high levels of carbon fourteen in organisms right. that are of that age. And some people say, well, that means that you know the atmospheric conditions were different. But the the other issue with that is most of these folks are uniformitarianists. They don't even believe in a catastrophic theory that could have arguably changed atmospheric conditions to the point where carbon fourteen would be preserved. Mm-hmm. And there's been multiple items that have been discovered in the area of paleontology where there has been living tissue that seems to have been recently alived on dinosaur fossils that still has the internal elasticity of living tissue. Mm-hmm. The dating, something's wrong with the dating at the very least. And I don't hold to Usher's chronology, obviously. That's not really the basis of it. There's also been some studies that were done by a group in Japan about the oscillatory motions of the sun that they're able to protract what that looks like as a star ages also the usages of the the elements within the sun points to a sun that's it's no more than ten thousand years old Mm -hmm. and so there's there's ways to describe it there's two main theories right now to describe well how do we get the age that we get and humphreys who's a fellow who actually used to work i think it's either at sandia Sandia or los alamos Mm -hmm. wrote a time dilation theory Mm -hmm. 
And then there's another one that's actually being worked on, the anisotropic propagation of light, which is typically how people judge. It's a very simple, logical construct, but it doesn't solve nearly for all of the issues for yeah. like the horizon problem, the thermal distribution of heat throughout the universe, for which even the evolutionary time period does not give sufficient time for that to have happened. Mm-hmm. So long story short, I hold to a younger Earth creation, but in that I hold, of course, to the six literal 24-hour mm-hmm. days. Mm-hmm. So as far as the design, we're not, we're not on separate pages. And as far as how Calvary College particularly articulates that, they make an allowance for the passage of time that yet results in the actual mm-hmm. execution of six individual days. It does not really go into the allegorical. So it's not exactly what I personally think, and that's perfectly fine, but it's something that's within the community itself because we don't really teach the old earth side of things either. We just say, well, if you're coming from an old earth perspective, you can get to the six literal days in this manner. Mm -hmm. If you're coming from the younger earth perspective, you can get to the six literal days in this manner. In that sense, I'm interested to see how this plays out specifically with the timing of the flood. Yeah. So I'm yeah, interested. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is, is it, it is an interesting thing. And you know, I, it just dawned on me that um, last time when we were talking about the different views, I tossed out Gerald Schroeder as well. Hmm. And his ideas are a little bit more contemporary, meaning they don't fall within one of those. And he really kind of straddles both a young earth and an old earth position. And so a lot of people are attracted to, to Gerald Schroeder. Gerald Schroeder is not a Christian. He is, he's an orthodox Jewish physicist. And he purports what's called a point of view perspective. Yes, yes, we did toss that. And the point of view perspective is from God's point of view, who he's communicating to Moses, I did it in six days. So from God's point of view, he did it. Well, humans' point of view, we're turning around and looking back into the history that, you know, and the expansion of the universe. And we are seeing 14 to 16 billion years. And Schroeder, in his books, has this way of doing concurrent mathematics, physics, and so on and so forth, and showing how they align perfectly. So if God created on such and such day at the expansion rate and everything else, that it is, it's not one or the other, it's both. And I'm attracted, I'll be honest, I'm attracted to that. I haven't really thought through it in great detail. I've, I've read the books, I've talked with a few people who are very, very familiar with Schroeder's work. And so it really comes down to, and we've said this multiple times, hermeneutics. It comes yeah. down to how we interpret the text and the available information before us. So in the case of, let's say you, you mentioned Usher, and for some of our listeners who don't know that, he was an Irish bishop, an Irish pastor, who um, used the Bible and laid out the chronology of the Bible, and that has stayed for a couple, three hundred years as a plausible um, chronology. And that's where a lot of young earth would say, well, 10,000 will because Bishop Usher, you know, he, he, he calculated it. You have someone like within Bishop Usher's chronology, and then you have other guys. Well, I'm not Bishop Usher's chronology, so I, you know, I, I give you know themes and variations. But what's interesting about Schroeder is it takes into account all of this. You know, from God's perspective, mm. it was six days. I, I'm telling you, Moses, I created this in six days. Here's how I did it. 
and he gives a summary of, of you know, the passage in, in Genesis 1. But as we're turning around looking back as human beings, we're not seeing six days. We're seeing the expansion of time, physics take its root, and so on and so forth. So it is all, it's, it's very much in flux. Right. What I would say is God is true, and his declaration of what he did is true. It is our understanding of that declaration, our hermeneutic of understanding the text that is that could be right. skewed. The the one thing that really threw a wrench in the works, looking at the comparable similarities for me, was in all of the non-literal days, even point of view, is that if you have man created on the sixth day and you do not have death or decay, until after man sins, according to Romans, then all of the fossil layers and periods of time that are said to have passed that come from creatures that have died are inherently unbiblical as a viewpoint. We can't have waves and waves and waves of death if we have not yet had sin. And yeah. there's multiple senses where they say, well, God was using these ages and times to create an ecosystem into which he would insert mm-hmm. man countenancing the passing of maybe billions of years, either in the day age or in the gap or, or whatnot. But then you have all of this destruction and you have multiple fossil layers that go back to the Silurian mm-hmm. period or whatever it's called now. That's what Darwin and those guys called it. And then you have the Cambrian explosion, of course, which everybody puts a lot of scrutiny on from the, from the paleontological community. That's all fine and good. And I can see how it lines up. I just don't see how that part lines up with the Bible if we allow for the passing of time and death and destruction and decay in the second law of thermodynamics, which is arguably a product of sin, and yet we just still don't have anyone on earth yet who has sinned, to me, that's that's what drove me more toward the other side. So it wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, Bishop Usher's chronology as much as saying none of that works yeah. biblically. So that's that's where yeah, I'm I think at. I think the uh, you know classic old Earth guys would say it comes down to hermeneutic again. You yeah. know, they're saying. You know, you young earth guys are interpreting it in relationship to death in general. But clearly the inference is to human death, not in death in general, because death had to have occurred before, um, you know, they said, then Adam didn't eat. Then then you're making something Adam, not human. He ate, therefore death uh, came. Um, you know, death was part of God's, not, not human death, but death as a natural phenomenon was part of this. So animals died, plants died. So again, the old earth guys would say, you know, you young earth guys, you keep saying that there was no death, but that's not death. That's not death in general. That's death of a human because if you say, well, there was no death, then how did Adam subsist? How did he live? They would ask. And so, did, was he a plant? Like, what did he do? Osmosis, or you, you know, or or was there supernatural? And then, um, how did that get passed down through DNA? We're, we're, we don't have that ability. So, there's a lot of unanswered right. questions right. on both sides. <laughs> that's what's so interesting. About right, right, exactly. <laughs> and that's why I love. And 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 that's why you know I always in my classes. And we've said this before in you know multiple of the podcasts. I always say we have to have a humble hermeneutic because the moment we think we have everything wrapped up, particularly with tricky passages in the Bible, the moment right. we think we have it all wrapped up, someone has another viewpoint that goes, huh, 
Yeah, that's interesting. That's that's very interesting. You know, I was very fortunate to, you know, I was head of schools in Southern California. And I got to meet, you know, Dr. Morris um, before he died. And I was invited to the the Creation Science uh, Museum that at the time was in San Diego County. And there was a lot of interplay. I, I was able to communicate and converse with a lot of these younger scientists. And they were brilliant, beautiful, godly individuals who really were trying to the best of their ability to be faithful you know, to, to Scripture. And, and I completely agree with that. And then on the flip side, uh, I haven't met him, but I've read a multiple of his works. You have someone like Hugh Ross, who has, you know, the 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 day age old Earth, and you you brought up Humphreys. You know, Humphreys published his book uh, about starlight and so on and so forth. Hugh Ross did, as an astrophysicist, did a rebuttal of that, and and they went back and forth. And so, what I'm saying is, these issues have defenders on both sides who give great answers back and forth. And I think the best responsible thing for laymen, because neither of us are scientists, you know, your, your master's is in theology or biblical studies. My master's is in theology. My other ones in my, my doctorates in philosophy with an emphasis on transcendentals, they have nothing to do with the hard sciences. So I think the best responsible thing for us is to have a humble hermeneutic. We doesn't mean we can't firmly come on one side, but to recognize like, boy, there are some godly people on the other side who, who hold a, a different position. Example, one of the you know, professors at, at the seminar I went to, Norm Geisler. Norm Geisler carefully you know, unpacked a lot of these things. I think when you pushed Norm into a corner, he would say he's old earth. Oh, yeah. It, I think that comes through yeah, in his yeah. unshakable foundation. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he's an old earth guy. But he also recognized this principle of a humble hermeneutic of, of where when the Bible's just not clearly stating it, you, you, go, you go outside of the biblical records, you look at science and so on and so forth, God's other book, if you will, and you, you compare and contrast. You, you, you try to come to a, a you know, conclusion. So I think Norm Geisler you know, followed one avenue of an old earth, but he was very respective and loving towards individuals like a Dr. Henry Morris, who, who was right. a scientist and he was an engineer. Uh, I, I think his specialty was in water. Hydrodynamics, yeah. yeah. And so it, it's one of those areas where these questions, as good as they are that we got from our student, they also sometimes go, okay, we don't have the full answers yet. <laughs> I, I always love what Chuck said. I did the radio with Pastor Chuck Smith for years. And invariably, the science question always came up. <laughs> and this question always came up. And Chuck would give what he said. Well, I used to be gap theory. And, but, and, and here, here's where he got to. I have a file in my mind. And I'll file it there. And it was basically wait for further information. So WFI, wait for further information. And so he said, you know, I wait for further information. I file it. I wrestle with it. I try to grapple with what, what's clearest, but I'm waiting for more information, either through archaeology or science or a cleaner understanding of, of our biblical hermeneutic. 
and then make a decision. So I like that. I, I've used that many times. Wait for further information. And I think a lot of times that's what we are doing, you know. Well, that being said, we still have to answer the main question. We've only got a few minutes to do. We've laid the framework, but the question was, when did the flood happen? Of course, we would both agree there was a biblical flood. Mm-hmm. Um, with the young earth creation, I'm going to say that, and I'll, I'll throw mine out there, and then you can finish this off. I'm looking at the biblical flood being sometime probably about 150 to 200 years before Abraham and Job. We think that those folks are generally some of the first people that came after the flood, the first civilizations going back to Ur, the Chaldees, etc. And that there are some elements that seem to have potentially survived the flood, not people, not life, but some topographical items, as well as perhaps some archaeological architectural, excuse me, architectural items that may have come through. The earth was severely terraformed catastrophically, but we don't know if that accounted for everything. Mm-hmm. And so that being said, we would put that at a date rough, roughly about 6,000 years ago at this point. We think that creation may have been much longer ago than that, but uh, yeah, biblical flood somewhere probably skating around five to six thousand years ago seems to be a reasonably good estimate if you are holding to the young earth creation model yeah and and that's pretty accurate i, I think most young earth uh, creationists do hold between like a six to seven thousand years and again uh, if dr collins was here dr stephen collins he's writing a whole you know rebuttal on, right. on that but i i'll let him do it old earth creation um Christians. Again, there's fluctuation there, but I would generally say most, most old earth creationists would say that the flood was about three uh, to four billion years ago. Uh, You know, give or take when um, there was a primordial, you know, still humanity there. Um, and, and again, that's we're opening up a whole right. different can of worms. Which we just have I, to let it be open. We don't it, have time to do it. Exactly. <laughs> whole can of worms. Because then I'd have to go, well, here's what Hugh Ross says, and here's what different people say. But they, they would say that the scientific evidence where there was water across the flood goes to th- three billion years ago. I've heard other people say, oh, no, that's too old. You know, it was really... 10 million years ago or something else of that nature. But one thing that is clear that both young earth and old earth, and again, I'm not here to, to jump on a position, right? but I think one thing that is clear is that most recognize that the earth was covered in water at some point. You know, looking out our window here, Luke, we see the Sandia mountains, which are roughly 10,000 feet and you can find well shells. on those mountains and you could pretty much find fossil evidence across the globe in high ranges that there is fossil evidence for a worldwide flood so at some point in earth's history the the, it, it, it was it was covered the question is and the the specific question is when and we've answered it and i think we've answered it accurately young earth would hear you know a six to eight. I've heard. I've heard variations, and then I think an old Earth would say uh, three to four billion, and then I've heard variations of that that go up to the millions, not billions of years. So that's where we'll leave it. 
<laughs> and that means that you, our listener, have a lot more reading to That's do. That's exactly and, right. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. You need to be able to come to your own position on this and know why you hold that position, not just because someone else said so. And if you can do that, then you can consider yourself a, a student in that regard. That being said, if you have some of your own questions that you would like for us to tackle, by all means, reach out to us at calvary.college at calvaryabq.org. Again, that's calvary.college at calvaryabq.org. And again, thank you for listening.